This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and I'm your host, Tyler Hurley, here with Robbie Lashua. It's good to be back. I love uh, recording this show Yeah, getting into our topic of context so people can study their Bibles well and uh, understand what it says. Yeah, this is a great strategy into understanding the Bible and growing more in your faith, because it's important that we investigate the Bible in context for what's happening in the passage of Scripture that we're reading, rather than just reading the passage at face value. Yeah, that's right. So So this is... uh, I'm trying to think. One, two, three, four, five. This is the sixth. Is this the sixth uh, uh, episode? Yeah, in this series we're doing. So if you haven't listened to the other ones on context, go ahead and uh, go back and check those out because these all kind of build on each other. Yes. Um, But for today, we're going to be talking about explanation, uh, and it's going to be really awesome. But before we get there, we love, as Christ Culture and Coffee, to give a coffee tip. And listen, if you're one of those people who fast forwards the coffee tip, right, and presses the fast forward 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds to get to (laughs) The the meat of this, you do not want to fast forward this one because you might miss out on an important announcement. That's right. So the coffee tip of today is short and sweet, and it's always accept free coffee. That's it. Sure. Simple, right? That's it. Always accept free good coffee specifically. And we want to offer you some free coffee. So this is the announcement. I know. It ties right in. (laughs) So always accept free coffee. Please accept this free coffee from Christ Culture and Coffee. We are... Uh, tomorrow night, so this is Thursday, tomorrow night, Friday night, we are having a live event here in the Phoenix area. Yes. If you are in the area, this is a free event. It's going to be at Palmcroft Church, which is on 35th Avenue between Greenway and Bell Road. Um, and it's going to be in the Brick House Coffee Shop there at Palmcroft. We are going and we are going to be speaking to a group on hell. We're going to be talking about is hell eternal? Is hell temporary? What are the different evangelical views on it? What are the philosophical problems with it? It's going to be an awesome night to discuss hell. Yeah. So if you want to go through hell with me and Tyler, <laughs> and this back, is your worry. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to hell and back <laughs> with Robbie and Tyler. <laughs> now this is your opportunity, and then the best thing is, it's at this coffee shop, and they're giving away free drinks. All yeah, night. and it's it's not just like just plain drip coffee. Like it's oh, an no. actual coffee shop. Yep. Uh, we've had their coffee before. They do a great job. They make a espresso and like different types of mixed drinks that you could get at Starbucks, except this is going to be for free. So you don't want to miss it. And again, just to clarify, that's going to be on Friday, February 5th. That's when this is happening at 6 p.m. at Palm Croft Church at 35th Avenue in Greenway. You definitely want to be there uh, because it's going to be a very fun night with a very uh, interesting topic that a lot of people uh, have not learn more about or studied in depth. So we're going to be talking about it. So that way you can have a better understanding of yep. the ideas of hell. We're also going to take a Q&A at the end. So if you have any questions yeah. about hell, uh, come and give us hell questions. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, there uh, and it'll be great. Um, we'd love to have you come. You don't need to register. You can just show up and you can walk in and you can grab a seat and it is going to be a great event. So we're going to be putting all of these details in our social media. So if you don't follow us on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter or all those places, we're going to be putting the info there so you can uh, find out about it, find the location. Super easy. We'd love for you to come out. Also, we're going to have t-shirts and we're going to have mugs for sale there. 
mugs like this one I'm holding in my oh, hands right yeah, now that are beautiful. Right. And so if you've been dying to get your hands on one of these mugs but you're not a Patreon supporter, Friday night, tomorrow night, you can come and you can check it out and you can get one of these mugs for yourself. So please yeah. come out. Come hang out with us. I would love to meet you. Tyler would love to meet you. We'd love to get to know who you are and um, just have a good night discussing some theology and some apologetics. So it's going to be great. Yes. So that's the coffee tip. Accept free coffee. And accept our free coffee tomorrow night. Yes, very excited about that. Uh, So now on with the topic for today. Again, Mm -hmm. we're continuing in context. So I'm just going to uh, recap as I do every episode. Our beautiful acronym. Yeah, our beautiful acronym. Uh, I'm going to recap it for you guys so you can understand where we're at. So we got C, that's crowd. O, occasion. N is name. T for time. E for echoes. Mm -hmm. And then today we're on explanations. T, text says, and then S says to me. That's context. That's the the deal here. We're going over it, right? Of studying scripture. You want to know who's the crowd this is written to. What was the occasion in the context historically? Whose name is on the letter, right? Who's Mm -hmm. the author? During what date, what time did they write this? Echoes, we talked about last week. I had fun on last week's episode. Yeah, that was talking about repeated words and phrases and inclusios. I've actually had a few people talk to me about inclusios this week. Oh, did they really? Based on that. That's uh, great. Based on last week. Today is an explanation, which is Mm going to be fun. But this is just a good method to have uh, as you go about studying scripture. Yeah, exactly. And so, explanation. Yeah, let's get into it. What is exactly? Yeah, It's how can individual words help us understand and interpret scripture correctly? That's the idea today. We need to investigate the individual words too, because that's Mm -hmm. what we spent a lot of time going over previously in the past few uh, letters of context is we're going over phrases Mm -hmm. or things like clues or things that we're seeing in the passage. This is very like face forward like, like this is like straight up just the word yeah, that well, we're focused on because words are like the building block right yeah exactly yeah. because uh, today we're specifically looking at the smallest component of the literally literary unit and that yeah. is the word yeah, I guess you can just use the letters, word. but the word, but they don't the letters sure. don't mean anything. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but they, they don't, don't mean, mean anything. anything. Yeah, okay. the, the word means except something. Except the letter yeah. I also is a word, and it's just a letter. Uh, I don't know. Oh gosh, now I'm getting confused. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah, that's the goal here. So we're focusing on just a word, but it's important to remember exactly. This may sound like elementary here, mm-hmm. but it's important to remember that words are units, right? Yes. That make up phrases, which are units that make up sentences. And then which are units in which make up paragraphs, which are units which make up a book, which is also its own unit. Yeah, no, that's true. Right. Well, and, and so, yeah, studying scripture in this way. So we're going to really detail with words, but you yeah. also always want to be looking for patterns and stuff in the book and in certain phrases and in how certain paragraphs are, yeah. are set up and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, it's how so. you break it down. So yes. you, just think about it as each individual way to break down a phrase or a way to communicate something in biblical literature as a unit. Think of it yeah. as a unit. We're going microscopic. We're doing Ant-Man. We're yeah, all the exactly. way down <laughs> to the words. Yep. That's where we want to get to today. And uh, we're going to be talking about words and definition of words and how you do word studies. But before we get there, a very important aspect and w- why I we named this uh, series Context mm-hmm. is because context is king. 
And you got to remember that. And so we have we have a, a you know a study guide for each one of these letters. But the whole thing too is its own. Yeah. With context. Context is king when you're studying scripture. Really, when you're studying any literature. Mm. So what context is is it's the setting or the situation of a word, a sentence, or an event. What is the setting of the the paragraph and the sentence that the word is used in? And the reason we need to, to know this is because words don't always mean the same thing in different contexts. They really don't. And there's there's so many examples of this. There's a ton of examples. Yeah. We do this in, in language, and, and humans have been doing this forever, but we use words differently all of the time. And so I love this phrase that a word has no meaning without its context. Mm-hmm. A word removed from its context only has different possibilities of meaning. Yeah, now, yeah. I want to explain that with, a, with an example because this is really important. So, Tyler, the word green. What does the word green mean? Well, when I first think about it, I think of the color green. Yeah, that's and that's what I true. But it also can be many other things, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. So the way to know what it means would be how it's used in context. Yeah. What is the purpose? What is the occasion, right? Yeah. And by, by reading the sentence or the paragraph where it's used, we can figure out what the meaning is in this specific uh Sentence. Yeah, and it, it sounds silly, but you you really can't even apply like the context of what we've been going over this series with some of, some of these phrases mm-hmm. of like we need to look at the time, the 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 culture, the people who were involved, what they were referring to, yep. who they were talking to, all, all these of that's things. context, right? Yeah, because it's historical and, context, yeah, it's audience context, it's time frame context, and, and that's not just with it. biblical things. That's what we're trying to get across to you guys. The point is, is this is just a life thing. This yeah. is just something that applies to all situations. We need to understand the context of words. Yep, and we do this yeah. really well when we study Shakespeare in high school or when we read Dr. Seuss. Yeah, sadly yeah. though, we don't. Don't do it very well when it comes to reading the Bible. Because like we said before, we, we treat the Bible like it's a fortune cookie. We crack it open, we read a sentence to feel good, and we move on. Totally disregarding that it is yeah. literary units and different genres, and we, we have yeah. to take time to study it, and context <laughs> is a huge part of that. I don't know anyone who flips through like Shakespearean poetry and just like reads it as a fortune cookie, just like one statement in the no. middle of a poem or something, or like his literature, no. and being like, hey, let's just apply this to me today. <laughs> like, let's just slap this on a coffee mug. And, yeah, uh, right. yeah, I know. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting... Interesting. Yeah, it's it's weird that we do that a lot with scripture. It's true. Yeah. But yeah. let's let's get back to so so talking about context. So, exactly. Okay. The word green. Um, if I say the house is green, in the context, that means that the house is the color green. Yeah. So it's yeah. painted green. It looks green. It's That's green what I would gather color. from what you said. The context. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now. If I say green in this context, it means something different. If I say um, I couldn't light the fire because the wor- the wood was too green, mm. that doesn't mean the color. It means it's wet, it's damp, it's freshly cut down, it's not dried out. And so green firewood doesn't burn well because it's too wet. Yeah. Right? So that's a di- completely different meaning. Completely different meaning. Same word though. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe the wood's also the color green, so you don't know. But it's Could like be. Well, it's, most wood's but, brown, right? It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or light, whiter in color. There you go. Right? See, it wouldn't make sense. That's no, the point. So doesn't. you got to think of the context of what's the context. Uh, another one would be if I said, like, uh, that rookie running back totally ran the wrong play. He's still a little green. Hmm. 
that means he's new or inexperienced at his position. Yeah. Right? Uh, we say this all the time about people. Um, if I said something like, I put my new plants inside of my greenhouse, now what is green being used as? Well, it's used as a compound, a part of a compound word defining a house that's kind of exclusively used as a plant habitat. Yeah. So green, when you say, what does green mean? Well, it depends on how you're using it. It yeah, depends yeah. on the context that is being used. That, in. Yeah, that even that makes me think of uh, how there's the green party, the political party. Exactly. It's like that do- has nothing to do with the color green. Nope, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Nope. Just, yeah. uh, or like, um, like uh, I hit my golf ball onto the green. Yeah, exactly. And what does that mean? It's a specific part of a golf course. Yeah, and you see, there's there's different ways, and, and a lot of you who are probably like listening to this, you probably didn't think of all these different ways initially that sure. you can use the word green to describe things. But we all do. Because that's the thing. Yeah, we yeah. do. And so it's, especially in the English language, there's so many words that are like this, that mm-hmm. the context of wh- how we're speaking it really matters. Yep, and the same goes for Greek and Hebrew. The context of how they use certain words really matters. And so to understand how a word is being used, Hmm. we first of all, we need to know all the possible ranges of meaning it could be, but we need to look at the context because context is king. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that a word has a variety of possible meanings is called its semantic domain, its dictionary definitions. Yeah, that's the key phrase when you're studying biblical stuff is semantic domain. What's the variety of definitions this word is used to express? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And and so when it comes to biblical words, it's important for us to look at their semantic domain so we can see all the possible ways that a specific word can be used. Yes, it's really important because if you only knew one definition... Oh, of course. And you wouldn't understand you, the yeah. context it's used in You're missing every case. something, right? Yeah. Of course, yes. Yeah. And so it's very important. So can you imagine, though, how bad your interpretation would be if you believe that the word green mm-hmm. meant full of sap moist when it came to the earlier sentence where you said uh, um, that rookie running back totally ran the wrong play. Is he a little green? Like He's like, oh, oh he's yeah. moist, full of sap. He's like... <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't work. If that's no, the no. only definition I had for green. And that I sounds thought like that that something was... out of a horror movie. Like, what is he, Swamp Thing? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's gross. Like, yeah. No wonder exactly. he ran the wrong way. He's full of tree sap. Yeah, and yeah. so what a crazy misinterpretation, right? I mean, like, that's, yeah. that's what could happen. And if that's the only way that you understood the word green to mean. Yeah. Or if you only un- understood it to mean the color green. If you're saying, oh, he's a little green. Yeah. But why, why is he, like, looking green? Like, what, is he nauseous? Is he feeling sick? Oh, like, yeah, that's yeah, another that's word. true. That's another word. That's another way to or use you, it, yeah. you think, like, did he get tackled and he got, like, a grass stain on himself that turned him green? Yeah, or was he, like, painting? before the game or something yeah. he just got green paint why would a grass you know? stain or why would paint make him run the wrong way I don't know yeah what. so see th- this is where it can become a serious issue so yep. <laughs> that's quite a misinterpretation so imagine though for a second what if that happened when we were interpreting scripture Oh, it happens a lot when oh, we interpret really? scripture. Like, yeah. <laughs> See, and that's that's the problem. And and again, we yeah. have we have a little bit of work to do with studying the Bible because of course, um, yeah. when we say when we say these sentences about green, everybody listening or watching this, like you all know, like, well, come on, that's of course we can tell the difference. We can. Yeah. Because we live right now and we know how we use this word in these different contexts. Yes, and that's our point in bringing up those examples is because we want you to understand how elementary that this is. Yeah. Oh, but and it happens, us, it happens to us in yeah. this context, but um, we're trying to build a bridge to the past, 
right? So chronological yeah. bridge. We're trying to build a bridge to a different culture. We're trying to build a bridge in a different language. And so even though we can spot this because this is our native time, place, culture, language, mm-hmm. it gets a little tougher when you're trying to do something this elementary well, it's, yeah, yeah, in Greek, in the first century, in Palestine, with their idioms and with their expressions and with their usage of certain Yeah, it takes some studying to understand it. That's all. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to get at is it just – it's not so simple just to pick up the Bible and to get all of this. How could we? Oh, of course. We're far removed from where they were at. But through study, we can come to understand it, and it's worth putting in the time to interpret things correctly. Yes. Yep. So that's what we want to do. We can't think so shallowly shallowly about this. And one of the key things is we have got to get away from the idea that a word only has one definition. Mm-hmm. We we all know that that's not necessarily true. Words have a range of meaning, but a lot of times when it comes to scripture, we make a word mean only one thing. Yeah. And this yep. is terrible. So like an example I, I've seen a lot is when people uh, see the word justification in scripture. Now, again, it's not used a lot in scripture, but it is used some. Paul uses it. James uses it. And because of our historical context and that we're post-Reformation and that justification in Romans was a huge deal to Martin Luther, we infer on the word justification the doctrine of justification. Yeah. When James doesn't use the word justification in the same way. Now, the problem becomes when we see James using that word the same way as Paul, there is an apparent contradiction because James says we're justified by works. Yeah. Whoa. But how do we get out of this conundrum? Well, we say, let's look at the semantic domain of what this word justification could mean. What does it mean? Does it mean Jesus died on the cross for our sins and imputed our impurities onto himself, therefore imputing his righteousness onto us so we could be judicially forgiven in God's eyes. Well, that's not what the word means. Of course. Paul explains that concept. But the word itself means righteousizing. Yeah, that's true. So it's it's interesting. So you go, okay, wait, so how is how can I understand what this word means in this book? Well, the context. Yes. The context. And so that that's a big point we we want to make is Words can't just be looked at as meaning only one definition in every place in the Bible. Yeah, you got to look beyond the face value. Yeah, and so this is actually a rule in uh, hermeneutics, in studying the Bible. Uh, To make a word always mean one specific thing, because in one passage it may mean that one specific thing, is called an illegitimate totality transfer. You are illegitimately transferring that meaning in totality to all the other times that word is used. It's the same thing as if, like you said earlier, if we said green always means full of sap. Yeah. Man, that you just put that anytime I use that word, that's what I, it has to mean. Well, man, you're not going to understand what I'm trying to communicate a lot of the times. We do that with scripture, and, and we need to be careful of that. Yeah, it's it's so true. And then like an, an example of this would be uh, like the idea that whenever fire is mentioned, the word fire, yeah. like whenever it's mentioned in scripture, that it always means hell. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that, that's an interpretation that a lot of people take from it. A lot of times, man, because people, and I don't know what it is about us, like we kind of think the Bible's only about one thing. Like it's only about how to go to yeah. heaven when you die, or it's about how not to go to hell. And so, yeah, anytime you see the word yeah. fire, people say, well, that must mean hell. 
Really? Why? I mean, it's it, that's a, the case. A lot of people look at it at face value, yeah. just as we were discussing. Well, and does some, does does the word fire in some places in the Bible mean hell? It absolutely does. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. to make it mean that everywhere is illegitimate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to give you guys an example of this. Um, uh, like, first off, I'm going to read John 15, 6, okay? It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they mm. gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. So so that, what is the context of this passage? That's the question, right? Well, this is what's cool, too, is what we can do is, because I know you're going to talk about the immediate context. Yeah, yeah, But right. you can also zoom out and say, what's the context in this book? Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. Right? Which... We covered like a little bit um, of the entire book of John, mm-hmm. like was it last episode or two episodes ago, something yeah. like that, where we discussed like like the overall picture of a book, right? Yep. So we have to look into that. You're absolutely right. Yep. And so, yeah, where does this fit in the book and what's the structure of the book? And all of that comes into play, but we don't have time to get into of all course, of that. Of yeah. course. So, so normally you would take a further step out and look at the context overall. Uh, but focusing on this passage... Um, the vine and the branches discussion, right? Um, the audience that we see here is the 11 disciples because Judas had already left to betray Jesus at this time. Yes. So, okay. So this is just the 11 disciples. Yeah. Just, just the 11. So this is the guys who really believed Jesus. Of course. Yeah. So, so we know that he's talking to the, to believers here and we know and that not just believers, like the d- devout followers, yeah. right? Who, who were all going to abandon him later that night, of, of but whatever. Course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. But they were all, because he yeah. said earlier when he was washing their feet, you were all clean. Well, not all of you. Yes, that's right. right. And he talks about the the one who is prepared and who's going to turn him in, uh, who's Judas. But he's gone now. Yeah, so these are all exactly. legitimate, clean Christians. Yes, we know They're Judas believers. is not involved, and the reason we we are establishing that is because this next part's important. The question is: Is Jesus warning these disciples that they will be sent to hell if they don't abide in Him? Mm-hmm. Now, he's not talking to Judas. He's talking to the, the good disciples yeah. here. That's yeah. what we just discussed here. Yep. Uh, now, well, this passage doesn't say hell, yeah. Hades, right? Uh, anything like that. It says, throw, cast them into the fire and they are burned. Yep. That's actually what it says. So so he, and, and Jesus has used like the actual word for hell in the past, so like, uh, like or around the time. Yeah, so, he uses so, Gehenna. He uses Hades. Yeah, yeah. He so knows the word. He knows this. the word. Yeah. So, so this isn't like his way of using the word for hell. It, like this is, he's literally just saying the word fire. Yeah. So we'd have to ask the question, okay, it could mean hell. It could. But how do we go about understanding? Yeah. We don't, we don't want to impose on that word fire hell every time you see fire right because like yeah. we, we were talking earlier and we were talking about how when jesus after his resurrection he shows up at the sea of galilee oh, yeah, remember yeah and it says that he starts a fire and he's cooking breakfast for the disciples well that doesn't mean hell right yeah, yeah. so every place obviously it's we just, know from the context come on this can't mean hell right yeah exactly and now there's more here with the branches because you're cast into a fire so that sounds like being cast into hell. So I get where people can think that, but all all we're trying to point out is the word doesn't carry the weight of that specific doctrine. Yes, Even though maybe that is what this is saying, we need to do a little more work to understand what's going on in context. Exactly. Yeah. Because we don't want to misinterpret it because he could very clearly, I mean, I'm just saying based on the value of the word, he could be talking about physical real fire. Mm Mm-hmm. 
not necessarily the idea of hell. Well, and what's interesting, again, this gets yeah, into historical, cultural context. And I think at the end of this series, we're going to apply all of our rules to one passage. Yes. And I'm hoping to do it on John uh, 15, 1 through 11. Yeah. But one of the things you have to look at with John 15, 1 through 11 is he, he starts it off with, I'm the vine, you're the branches, the father's the vine dresser. So there's this metaphor of a uh, vineyard. Yeah. So it would help us to know how did they grow grapevines and what was the practice like in first century Palestine? Yeah. Because maybe we're missing some of the metaphor because we don't know the methods they used to grow grapes. Does it make sense? I mean, if, if, if I was talking sense. about a shoe factory, it would really help you out to know how shoes were made oh, if yeah. I'm using analogies about different machines. Yeah, right? yeah. And so, again, context. What's the context? Context is king, even when it comes to words and mm. how they're used. So with that, um, there's a popular idea out there. This is kind of getting a little more specific. There's this idea out there that if you if you want to understand how words are used, obviously we don't want to just illegitimately transfer the meaning all over the place. Of course. But it's plausible that a certain author would use a word in similar ways. And that doesn't sound crazy. It's like, okay, yeah, I could see that. So maybe John uses a word like this. Paul uses a word like this. James uses a word like this. Peter, right? Yeah. That could be. Um, but uh, we still can run into danger with that because um, we don't talk like that. Of course, yeah. We use words in different ways a lot of the time. So to say that you know John only uses this word in this way, uh, I, we can't do that because that is an illegitimate totality transfer. Yes. They actually call it, when, you, when you're doing it because of a certain author, they call it an illegitimate identity transfer. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Because yeah. Just because a, a person uses that word majority of the time for, with a specific context does not mm -hmm. mean it's always used in that context by them. No, and it doesn't yeah. even mean in the same book or in the same paragraph. That's why we've got to look at the context. So like... If I told my wife, um, our son burned his finger on your curling iron, and then later in the day I said, hey, I was making lunch, and I burned the rice, and then later on that night uh, she said, hey, how did you start this fire? And I said, oh, I just burned a bunch of that old cardboard we had. Mm -hmm. I'm using burn in a similar way, right? Of course, Heat, yeah. fire, destruction. So there's repetition. There's and repetition, I'm using it. Yeah. But, but then if, you know, a half hour later I'm watching basketball, and uh, I love the sons. You love the sons yeah. because we're Christians. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it's yes. true. I mean, the son. <laughs> yeah, the son. <laughs> there it is. But if I if I say yeah. Devin Booker burned his defender and dunked on him, and she thinks that a basketball player lit another basketball player on fire or got a curling iron out and singed <laughs> yeah. somebody, that is totally illegitimate because that's not how I'm using the word. Even though I used it to mean a specific thing throughout the day in a different context. Yeah, exactly. So, so context is still king. So just because a certain author in scripture uses a word a certain way, even if he uses it the same way within one book, doesn't mean we can say, so in every book he uses it this way. Uh, that can get us into trouble. Uh, and we have an example of that, actually. You, you've got an example of that. Yeah, yeah, I do. So there is, here's an example of this that we see in scripture from the word overcome, overcomer, okay? Mm -hmm. First uh, John uses a uh, usage of overcome is re in reference to a Christian. Okay, mm -hmm. and I'm going to read this passage here. It's First uh, John four four. 
you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you than he who is in the world. Uh, sorry, because greater is he who is in you, mm-hmm. who is in the world. So the context of that passage specifically, it says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. So it's clearly in reference to a Christian. Yeah, because why? Because he's in you. Yeah, he's in so you. So you're a Christian. That's how you've overcome. Exactly. So an overcomer, according to this verse, is a Christian. Yes. Yeah. Very clearly. Yeah, it's clear. It's contextually clear. Yeah. And then again, we see uh, it right here. First John 5, 4 through 5 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Simple. Right there. Yeah. How do you overcome? Well, it's our faith. <laughs> uh-huh. He who is an overcomer is the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, and for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Born of God meaning yep. born again Christian. Yep, very simple. So there you go. Yep, we can see from that that First John, and there's actually a couple other uh, uh, verses where he uses that word. Yeah, and he means it as Christian. He's exactly. using it kind of as a synonym as Christian, and we know that because he explains it. Yeah, overcomer. He, he says how he's using it in the context. There we go. And so, yep. but since John uses this word as a synonym, synonym for Christian in First John. The question is, can we transfer this meaning of this word into Revelation, which was also written by John? Yeah. Can we transfer that? Because if we're going by the standard of how an author uses it based on repetition and frequency to a certain meaning, can we apply that to every time it's used by that author? That's the question. And and the answer to that would be, well, we have to look at the context no matter what. Oh, of course. Even if it's in the same book or if it's not. So let's go to Revelation and see where this word overcome or overcomer is used and try to conclude from the context if he's using it the exact same way. Because we don't want to just say, of course he'll use it the same way, right? Well, yeah. Okay, so let's look at this. So Revelation uh, 2.17 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. So in the beginning uh, chapters of Revelation, these are letters from Jesus to seven different churches. Mm. And at the end of each one, so he talks about what they do good, what they do bad, and then he encourages them to stay strong in the faith, to persevere, and then he makes these promises. To the one who overcomes, I will give this, 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 this. Uh, Let's look at another one, Revelation 2, 26 through 27. Jesus says, he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end... To him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessel of the potter are broken to pieces. Mm. Okay? Another one, Revelation 3.21. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Okay, yeah, so these passages in Revelation are written to churches. So the question is, are these letters from Jesus saying that those overcomers are true Christians and those who are not overcomers are not Christians. Is that what it's saying? Well, see, I don't think so. But if we take how John used the word overcomer in 1 John and illegitimately transfer it to Revelation, Mm. that's how we'd have to take it. Look at that. And so then we'd have to say, okay, well, he's writing to churches, but there's a lot of non-Christians in these churches. Yeah, yeah. But the hard part becomes... That's like 
we're, we're, we're imposing our cultural situation back then. People who weren't Christians didn't like really go and attend church. It wasn't like a cultural thing in the first century. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, you know, it wasn't really. The people there were legit. Like the people there were saints. The people were there believed Jesus was the son of God. Hey, you, so they're already yeah. Christians. So the fact that Jesus is encouraging them to persevere and to follow, even to one yeah. of the churches, he says, you're going to all die. Be faithful to the end. Well, that's so that's, I mean. that's tough. Actually, that's a prime example of like why there weren't non-Christians really in this crowd is because mm-hmm. a lot of them were facing persecution and death. So yep. if you were there, you you meant it. Yeah, you that's meant the it. That's the thing. And so the fact yeah. that Jesus is encouraging them to stay strong, to persevere. So this is the problem. If they are real Christians who will stay strong to the end, mm-hmm. there's no need to tell them to do it because they yeah. just automatically will, Right. Of course. Now, if you're you're trying to say, well, there were non-Christians and real Christians there, and he's just telling the real Christians you're going to get all of these things, and the non-Christians are going to go to hell. Well, that's not in there. Now we're we're making things up. Mm. Um, but could it be that how John is using overcomer in Revelation isn't the same way he's using overcomer? In First John, right? Maybe it isn't a synonym for Christian, so we can't transfer that over. So what we'd have to do is look at the word overcomer. What does the word mean? Uh, the word in Greek is nikao, and here are its ranges of meanings. What's called the semantic domain, right? The dictionary definitions. So it means to win in the face of obstacles. So to be a victor, to conquer, to overcome, to prevail. It can also mean to overcome someone. So you can yep. vanquish them or you can like overpower them physically. It can mean that. Yeah. Uh, and it also can mean uh, to surpass inability, like to excel. Like he excelled in math beyond everybody yeah. else, right? Yeah. So these are the ways this word is used. Um, none of them are about Christianity per se. Yeah, yeah. So we have to understand from the context how John is using them and he obviously is using them differently because uh, there is no mention of people gaining heaven by being an overcomer. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's a promise from Jesus of reward in heaven, not reward with heaven. Yeah, right? exactly. That's that's very important. Exactly. We, we can see clearly through this now that this word can be used to reference being a victor of eternal life in Jesus. Yep. But we can also see how it can be used being a victor of eternal rewards based on how we live our lives. And, yep. and that's what the context is used for in these passages. Yeah, but there are theologians, yeah. man, who have said, because John uses it like this in 1 John, yeah. that's obviously what he must be talking about no, Revelation. And I've, I've read it from it's theologians. Like, oh, man, that's yeah. not good. Yeah. I've, I've read from theologians who actually believe that. You're you're absolutely right. It's not a good hermeneutic. It, well, it's yeah. not. It's just not. It, a lot of this uh, can come down uh, to common sense when you break it down in the sense of, uh, I'm, I'm not calling these theologians stupid or anything No, like they're that. not. No, no, yeah, no, no. They're, they're very smart and like they think these things, they try to think these things through to the best of their ability. Yep. But I'm saying when we break down using common sense, just when you apply this in life, 
it doesn't happen in the case of like the word that you use for burn, right? Yeah. It's not the same in every context that you use no. it in just because the, the primary, like the main way that you use it is in reference to fire or heat applied. Yep. Right. Well, And even with authors that we have now, like Stephen King yeah. doesn't use certain words the exact same way in every book he writes or even in every chapter he writes. Yeah, that's but absolutely true. we know true. what he's using based on the context. Yes, yes. And so that's what we need to look at. Uh, like, and the point is here is we, we want you guys to understand how to do a word study. Okay? Yeah, explanation is important, right? Yeah. Word studies are a big deal. And so how do we go about, yeah, when it comes to these things, how do we figure it out? How yeah, do we figure out exactly. the meaning of the text? Exactly. And, and the first step you should always take, though, when doing a word study is look up the word which you want to understand in a lexicon. And yes. I, I can't recommend this enough. I, I did this a lot in school when yeah. I was studying passages. I've done this with uh, sermons or messages I've prepped, and it's so vital. Yep, and, a, we, and a lexicon, because yeah. again, I don't know if everyone knows what that is. Of course, is. yeah, i got to clarify that. A lexicon is a uh, dictionary, basically, yeah, yeah. of English words in the Bible or Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic words in the Bible. And so it's it's better to look it up in the original language. Of course. So you look yeah. up the English word in a specific verse and then you say, what's that Greek word? And it's very simple to do. You can do it on Bible Hub or you can do it on Blue Letter Bible. There's all these different free resources. And then you, you find out what the word is in Greek. Then you can go to a lexicon. And you can say, okay, what is the semantic domain of this word? Yes. And you can see a list of uh, – it's dictionary def definitions. That's, yeah, that's you look for the specific definition in that language of the word. And yep. it's so helpful yep. because uh, it – it really helps us get a better understanding exactly what we were saying here of the context of how it's being used. Yes. Uh, a really good one to buy if you're interested, because like we said before, there's there's tons of free ones out there. Yep. Uh, but if you want like an actual uh, lexicon to buy, uh, it's referred to as BDAG. It's a, a Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament and other early Christian literature. Yeah, that's the best one. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's they refer to it as BDAG. Like that's the yeah, slang BDAG. term for it because, yeah, BDAG. BDAG, BDAG. Yep. But um, it is really good, and yeah, I, I suggest every Christian grab a copy of that. Or you can also buy Bible software like Logos, and you can yeah, get it on yeah. there. Um, but it's just so helpful to have to look mm. up, okay, how are these words used in that language at that time? Yeah, exactly. And so a after you have the semantic domain of your word and you look that up, look up all of the places that the word is used in the Bible by using a concordance. Yes. Yeah. And That's, a concordance, what, what's the idea with a concordance? Yeah, well, essentially what it is, it's an alphabetical listing of words used in the Bible, and it shows you each verse that the word is used in. So that's what yes. you got to do. You're just breaking it up into a category of looking for that word every time it's used and then breaking it up in categories of how it's used. Yeah, so you've got lexicon is the definition of the word. Mm -hmm. You've got concordance is a list of all the places in the Bible, all the verses where that word's used. Yeah. So it's yeah. really helpful. So you can say, oh, I, the, you know, like the word repentance is used 56 yeah. times in the New Testament. Um, the word saved, how much is that used in the New Testament? What's the what's the Greek word for it? What what What's the Hebrew word for it in the Old Testament? Are there more yeah. than one word that we translate as saved? All these types of things come into play when you're trying to do uh, a word studies. So after you do yeah, step exactly. one of looking it up in the lexicon, step two of finding all the places where it's used mm -hmm. in the Bible, through a concordance, then you get your list of verses and you get your definitions and the real work begins. 
You now go to <laughs> yeah, those right. passages and you read the verse, you read the paragraph around it, and you look for the context. How is this word being used in this sentence? Which of these definitions mm. is being used here? Yeah. Just like with our word green, right? If you had all those definitions and you're reading about firewood not being lightable— Right, yeah. You go, it's probably this one where it's wet and it's not easy to burn. That makes the most sense here. Yeah, yeah. That's what you're trying to do when you're doing a word study and looking at verses in the New Testament or Old Testament. And so then what's fun to do is categorize, okay, how many times is this word used to mean this definition? How many times yeah. is it used to mean this definition? And um, I like to just put um, – the verses in uh, like a word document, like a like a table, and you can just put the sentence of the verse, and then you can categorize it as it's a definition, it's b definition, it's c definition, and so it's kind of like you have it at a glance. Like yeah. here's here's 190 times where this word's used in the New Testament, and this many times it's used like this, this many times it's used like this, this many times it's used like this, and it helps you to interpret what the verse is saying, exactly. so you don't think that a running back has sap in his legs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and look, you may be intimidated by by hearing all this because it sounds like a lot of work, but guess what? It is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And and that's the point is we're supposed to when we say study the Bible, we're supposed to actually like study it, like yep. go in depth because it, this is what we should be doing as Christians. You can make this a part of your Bible routine, like you're, by taking the time to go through passages yes. and, and do a word study. It's a big deal. Yeah, and and yeah. We've, we've said this before on podcasts, but the fact that in Matthew 22, Jesus makes an argument against the Sadducees based on a verb tense in Exodus 3. He does. Yeah. That's a big deal. So like the smallest parts of scripture are important. Jesus said, you know, not a jot or tittle, not the smallest part yeah, yeah. will ever pass away. But he even shows us that he makes arguments based on verb verb tenses in Exodus 3. Oh, yeah. So we really should do deep dives into this stuff and and study to show ourselves approved workmen who don't need to be ashamed. Because if we want to apply it to our lives, we first of all need to understand what it's saying. Oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> and you can make wrong interpretations about fire and hell or overcomers or salvation or whatever, justification, right? If you don't take the time to just do a simple word study. So it's a really good exercise to do, and it really will help you in interpreting scripture. I think it's awesome. Yeah, of course. I I really, like, I do word studies all the time for class preparation, for sermon prep, for podcast prep. I do word studies all the time because it is so helpful in understanding uh, what scripture says. Yeah, it's it's so important to do. Uh, And now, again, I just want to recap, though, what we've been going over because this applies so important in the context that we've been studying here. The contexts, again, are C, crowd. That's for The C is for crowd. O, for occasion. N, for name. And then T, for time. When, when does it take place? E, for echoes or repeated words. Explanation, which is what we just discussed. Uh, what is the semantics or word studies of an individual word? What What's the explanation behind that? Mm-hmm. And then text says to me, which we'll be covering next episode. And then uh, says to me, the application, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what we need to be focusing on is studying the Bible in the context. And that includes with explanations like we went over today, diving in deeper mm-hmm. by looking at the word as an individual unit, right? 
you referred to Ant-Man earlier as we're shrinking yeah. down uh, to the microscopic level of this, of looking at, okay, what does the word individually mean? Yep. We're not just looking at, and it's important to, once you do that, to expand outward again and look at the big picture. Yeah, you need the forest and you need the trees, right? Yeah, you need the that, leaves, I love you that. You need all of that. I love yeah. that. That's a great way to explain it. You need the forest and you need the trees. So yep. uh, please, please, please take the time to write this stuff down because it's so important in your biblical studies and it'll encourage your faith. It'll help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we're just called as Christians to do is to understand and study God's word more in depth. It is. And one of the things I want to just kind of piggyback on from last week is when you see repeated words or phrases... Those are really good words to do word studies on. Yeah, right? if actually, you see that's something's repeated. Yeah, you don't want to do a word study on the word the. Of course, yeah. right? Like, who cares? Like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, you don't want to do a word study on articles and things like that. You want to do word studies on important words, unique words, repeated words. Mm. Those are the ones that really convey the meaning yeah. of the text. Look for the Christianese terms, as yeah. they like to call it. Look for those terms, and, and don't try just to break assume you know what they mean. Like, it, it's fascinating yeah. if you ask Christians, "What does grace mean?" Duh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the name of girls, name of my church. It's the thing we talk about. It's a, yeah. Okay. What does yeah. it mean, right? Um, well, it doesn't mean anything unless it's in context. Yeah. And then, yeah. what does it mean in its semantics? I mean, all those things are really important for interpreting scripture. But we we hope that this has been an encouragement to you. We hope that this is helping you to study the Bible well and that you're actually taking time to do it. Uh, we want to encourage yes. you to do this stuff. We know it's work. We know it's it's just sometimes it's easy just to read a chapter and move on with your day. But we're missing out on so much when we don't take time to dive deep in our study and, and love the Lord our God with mm. all of our minds. So, hey, we would love to see you tomorrow night at Palmcroft Church here in Phoenix, Arizona, 35th Avenue, yes. between Bell Road and Greenway Road, 6 o'clock, free coffee in the Brick House Coffee Shop on campus. Please come by and say hello. We would love to meet you. Um, but if not, that's okay. Yeah. We'll be posting that show. We're doing a live recording of it, and so we'll be uh, publishing that uh, a few weeks out. But thanks so much for being here today. Today. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. Thanks for watching Christ Culture and Coffee. And we'll be back next week to continue in our series on context. If you enjoyed the show and felt that this podcast was beneficial to you, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you become a Level 4 supporter on our Patreon page, you can get yourself one of our Stoneware Christ Culture and Coffee mugs, as well as a t-shirt and a sticker. We are available on all podcasting platforms as well as YouTube, and we are also available on all social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee.